We'll be in 1 Kings 8. We'll start in verse 10 and work through 27. Follow along or just um, simply soak in God's word as it is read over you. When the priest came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple. And because of the Lord, the priests were not able, and because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord said that he would dwell in total darkness. I have indeed built an exalted temple for you, a place for your dwelling forever. The king turned around and blessed the entire congregation of Israel while they were standing. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He spoke directly to my father David, and he has fulfilled the promise by his power. He said, Since that day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city to build a temple in among any of the tribes of Israel, so that my name would be there. But I have chosen David to rule my people, Israel. My father David had his heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Since your heart was set on building a temple for my name, you have done well to have this desire. Yet you are not the one to build it. Instead, your son, your own offspring, will build it for my name. The Lord has fulfilled what he promised. I have taken the place of my father David, and I sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised. I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place for the ark where the, Lord covenant, where the Lord's covenant is that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire congregation of Israel and spread out his hand toward heaven. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below who keeps the gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept what you promised to your servant, my father David. You spoke directly to him and you fulfilled your promise by your power as it is today. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, keep what you promised to your servant, my father David. You will never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons take care to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, Lord God of Israel, please confirm what you promised to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed live on earth, even heaven, The highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, brother. It is good to be back. Presence matters. I promise you. Just a few weeks ago, uh, I found myself dedicating a building. Do you remember taking up our offering for this? Found myself in um, northeastern Ghana. What we could have done as a congregation is took up an offering, um, figure out a way to wire the money and say, good luck with all of that. We wish you well. I hope that you build it and fill it and God might be glorified. That is not what we did. Yes, we took up an offering, and yes, the money got there. The church was, in fact, built, and as much as I really think 
that we worked hard. Um, it definitely looked like Stanton and Jack did more work than, say, Justin and I. And Justin more than I. I'm 55, okay? I'm working on it. Um, they could have done it without us. They really could have. But presence matters. And it's really not about the money. And it really isn't about the work. It's about the people of God gathering and recognizing the presence of God. Because presence matters. And so that's why last week, um, totally unexpected to Andrew and I, um, I needed to make a trip to Poland. And not just to see my kids. But there was just a need there. And my presence mattered. It wasn't just a matter of, hey, hope all's going well. Let me know how things work out. It's not like if I went there, then everything would be just fine. But no, presence matters. And so what we, we do what we can to be there, to be, to be present. Because we recognize the value of our presence in the lives of others. I promise you, that's why it's an absolute joy for fathers to be around when their children are born. It still astounds me um, that my dad grew up in an era where he was just notified about it. And as much as I was nervous, Andrea, maybe you were a little more so, when the baby was coming, I'm glad that I was there because presence matters. You, you know this to be true. And that's why it's whether it's a graduation um, or a Little League's baseball game or a dance recital like, or breakfast, presence matters. And so I couldn't help but think that this entire story, one story, is really about the presence of God with his people. This is the story of God's presence, and, and that's why it's good for us to remember as we begin this journey, we were designed to enjoy the presence of God. That is in our, more than our DNA, we are image bearers of God, and so therefore there is something that is pulling us towards this presence, this connection, this communion with God, this fellowship with him. And yet we know the story, there's a snake there, that sin then caused a disruption to the way that things were intended to be. So therefore, as we're walking through the story and we're seeing a break, we're seeing struggle, we're seeing division, we're seeing separation, it's, it's the kind of separation um, that explains the pain when presence is removed. I remember just thinking about how hard it would be just to say goodbye to the people that we love. As I, I grew older, one of my most terrifying fears was not just that I, something would happen to me, but that something would happen to my mom or to my dad um, or to my sister when at 16 she was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, I just remember being terrified, like, I, just, I don't want to be separated. And so that just continued on. And in my life, I just, I, I found, and this was the painful part, that there were just more and more people that I cared about, that I became concerned about, about being removed from their presence. And I get it. I, I do believe that there will come a day where everything will be restored. 
But right now, it's just the pain of not being together, right? Not being there. And that pain is natural. Why? Because sin is what caused a disruption. The fruit of sin is actually death. And death is that separation. And, and that is why we, we hurt. And, and can I say this? That is why we should hurt. Because it's not, it might seem normal. It might even seem natural, but not the way that God intended and not the way that God designed. And, and therefore, in that sense, even as believers in Jesus Christ, we should not accept separation. Not as normal. Not as God's design. Not as God's plan. It's not. And so the entire story of the Bible is one of God's design, the break that is happening, and then God's restoration. God's bringing back together people into his presence. And then what I love about the Bible and every one of these stories that we're going through, what I love about the scriptures is this, is that the presence of God, whenever it happens, it creates wonder and peace. Wonder and peace. Now, now don't get me wrong, there are times in which it's almost terrifying. Take off your, your sandals for the place where you were standing is holy ground. So there is a sense of take a deep breath for I'm standing in the presence of Almighty God. There is a moment in Israel's history where they needed to construct a fence around Mount Sinai for anyone that should just happen into the presence of God. Surely they will die. And that causes wonder. And weirdly enough, it causes peace. One of the repeated themes that we see through the scripture is this, I'll go, but you'll go with me, right? Like a little child, absolutely terrified first day of school. Um, I, I did not do well in school. I, I mean, I learned to do well in school, but at first, and I only know the story from my mom's recollection of it, but I didn't want to be separated from her. And so my speech was this, mom, tell them I'm bad. <laughs> if you tell them I'm bad, maybe they won't want me to be at school. And mom said, no, you're bad, but you're going, Right? She needed a break from the badness. I just didn't want to be separated. There is a peace that comes from presence. I'll go if, if you'll go with me. I'll go if you'll go with me. Um, some of my strongest memories as a child are standing in front of our living room window just wanting mom and dad to come home. And every time there would be lights, I could still see it if I closed my eyes or keep them open for that matter. Every time there was like just a set of lights coming down the road, I wonder if that's them, I wonder if that's them. And every time it wasn't, my heart would stop. And then that one time when it was, <sighs> peace, the peace that comes from presence. This is God's design, this is God's plan. And so therefore you would think that in the scriptures, if that is the way that God designed it and sin is what separated it, that there should be this natural inclination, a, a search, an ongoing, relentless search for humanity to find God. And yet honestly, as much as we talk about that, and I'm, I was looking for God or I was searching for God, the Bible actually says a number of times that, that nobody really does that. The search for the presence of God, I think it's good to be reminded that when Adam and Eve sinned, 
The first words are not Adam and Eve looking for God. No, they are on the run. The words that come out in Genesis 3 is this. Where are you? That's God speaking pursuit. That's God declaring his love. Truly, the, the Bible is, is, is about our separation and God's desire to establish So as much as we might want to talk about a search for God that humanity might have, I think if you go back, I I, I, I would even encourage you to have a good understanding of how the world religions work. Again, I've, I've spent some time traveling in both Africa and Europe just in the last few weeks. And I know what it's like to just see a sense in which there is an awareness There is an awareness that there must be something out there. But indeed, when humanity finds itself at whatever level or at whatever interest seeking God, it's almost always on their terms. And that's why we come up with rules and regulations, not God's divine law revealed to us, but no, us trying to figure out what he's like. Us guessing at what God, whatever he, she, it is. Us trying to, to, to just do guesswork with it. And that is why whenever we search for God, we come up short. We always come up short. It is such a human thing to try to create God in our own image. To, to fill, I mean, this is, this is a reality, I think, is that the world religions that are not revealed, that do not come from God, but are created by us to figure him out, really are, I believe this to be true, are things that you and I manufacture to fill the holes in our lives. I've heard people say this about Christianity. I don't think it's an accurate accurate portrayal of what this book describes. But I think it is true about world religions. Every time we search for God, we come up short. And we do little more than create, manufacture, create an image to fill the needs and the holes that exist in our lives. But when God makes his presence known, when God makes his presence known, You know what we always find? Worship and purpose. This is the story of scripture. When God comes down and makes himself known to Abram, there is worship, an altar is built, a moment of reflection happens. There There is wonder and there is marvel and there is, and now I want you to go to a land that I'm gonna show you. For indeed, I will bless all people through you. This happens at the river of Jabbok when Abraham's grandson, Jacob, is reminded about God's purpose and God's presence. And then immediately after this worship, there is this purpose. For indeed, I'm going to make you into a great nation like I promised your grandfather, Abram. And this happened in Egypt when God appeared to Moses and called Moses to lead the people of Israel. That's not what the text says. In Exodus chapter three, it makes it very clear. I have indeed, this is God speaking, I have indeed seen the misery of my people and I am coming to rescue them. My presence is going to be made known. 
And although Pharaoh is going to be the one that will dare to say, who is this God that I should have to listen to him? He would soon find out. For God's presence would be made known. As Ryan declared in his sermon a few weeks ago, the 10 plagues are God's 10 great victories over the gods of Egypt. Oh, you'll know who I am when I appear before you. And so God said to Moses, I am going to lead my people out. And as you worship me here on this mountain, um, I'm going to use you. Here is a purpose for you. God's presence comes and there is wonder and there is worship and there is purpose. And so I don't know where you stand or I guess technically sit this morning. I don't know what your journey has been like in terms of trying to understand who God is. I don't know how engaged you are with the word of God or the the purposes of God. I don't know what you're doing with the Holy Spirit that I believe right now through this word and any words that the Holy Spirit should choose to use that come out of my mouth. God's presence, God's purpose in your life is intended for you to respond in worship and in wonder It's intended to respond not by trying to create him in some own image so that you could um, fix the problems or the difficulties or the relational strains in your life. But more than that, that you would find a purpose connected to God's purpose of redeeming and restoring you to himself for his glory, others' benefit, and what? And your joy. Joy. That's what the presence of God is all about. And that is why as we walk through the many stories in the one story of Scripture, what we find is a wonderful surprise when God comes near, when God makes himself known. I know it might seem like, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. They say, you know, I just wish that that life today was like it was in the Bible. You know, what do I, I, love to hear, I love to ask this question. I think I know where they're going because I've had the thought myself. What, what, are you, what are you looking for in your life that is, you know, so obvious in the pages of Scripture and somehow deficient in you? Well, you know, like it just seems like God's always talking to everybody in the Bible. Like God's always just making himself known. And I'm like, oh, that's what happens when you can read the Bible like this. You do know that you just skipped over 400 years. <laughs> there was a young boy who was set apart, devoted and dedicated. And after his mom had raised him for a few years, she gave him to the Lord like she had promised. And this young man, Samuel, went to live in the house of the Lord, near the house of the Lord. Temple hadn't been built yet. And God came and surprised him one night with a voice. And he he didn't know what to do with it. And and it says something very interesting in 1 Samuel 3, which has got more call language in it than any other scripture. The Lord called out to Samuel. The Lord called out to Samuel. And just like Abram, Abram, where are you? Moses, where are you? Samuel, It says this, Samuel didn't know what to do with 
the presence of God making himself known. It says this, because the word of the Lord was rare in those days. You need to realize that the Bible, which covers a very long time period, it is more rare than you think for God's presence to be manifest like you and I so desperately desire, but when it, when it did, you know what you see in scripture? That the presence of God always happens on his timetable. It is always focused on his mission. And then lastly, the presence of God always has an invitation to us. Every time. God's presence is on his timetable. It's focused on his glory and his purpose. I want you to build an ark. I want you to go back to Pharaoh. I want you to, all these things. Focused on his mission and his purpose. I want you to build a house for me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to warn my people. I want you to travel to Nineveh and I want you to warn them of the judgment that is coming. Here's what I want you to do. I have come and I've made myself known to you. Therefore, go. This is how the Lord speaks. Why? Because of God's relentless pursuit of us. And maybe that's why Jesus said, for not only do I do everything I see my Father doing, for I, the Son of Man, has come to seek and to save all that was lost. Jesus Christ making it very clear that presence matters. The prodigal, whether he knows enough to come home and to recognize the kind of reception that he or she, I know in the text it's a he, but you might be a she. The presence matters. I just want to go home. And God is more than willing to receive and so here we find ourselves today. Um, I know this isn't a picture of the temple. This is, is, is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. This is an object that was intended to describe God's presence. And David wanted a place for this. This ark was actually constructed from the same conversation that God had with his people when they were wandering in the desert. God appeared to them in a fire by night and, and a cloud by day to remind them of his presence. And then he gave them the specific instructions for this ark that would be, in fact, the presence of God made known to them. Inside the ark, this wonderful wooden structure that was then covered with gold that would be carried by the priests would represent the presence of God before his people. And what David desires is to create a place for God, for his presence, for the ark. But I think it's good for us to realize, and I don't know if you noticed this from the text that Vince read, Solomon's dedication, he does two things. On the one hand, he talks about this wonderful temple that he has built, this beautiful home, this beautiful place that that he has built for God and, and, and a rightful place for the ark to, to sit, for God to dwell. And, and, and again, I, I think what he was trying to do, and God knew this, God warns of this, 
God warns that, that somehow what we all want to do with presence is we all want to use it to manipulate those people that we think we, we want to keep close to us. See, I was afraid of people leaving and then not coming back. I was really afraid of that. And, and when fear steps in, that, that's when you can begin to manipulate. I think one of the reasons why they either wanted a king or they wanted a temple was they just, they wanted to make sure that God would stay with them. Promise me you're not gonna go anywhere. Promise me you're not gonna leave. Well, what if I build you a house? Then you'll have to stay here, right? One of the most interesting things that God makes very clear, whether it's the tabernacle, which was a, a kind of a portable tent that was made. Literally, the tabernacle just means the word tent. When, when God gave the instructions on how to build this tabernacle or this tent, he made it very clear that it was temporary. Everything that you make it out of are, are things that are not going to last forever. It's temporary. My, my presence in this tabernacle by its nature and by its design is something temporary. It's this constant reminder that this thing that we long for, this fusion of us being connected with God, can never be manufactured by our own creativity or doing. In the same way that God's presence, when it does come on his timetable, is this wonderful surprise meant to give us purpose and adoration and worship of him, that the point is always going to be him. Can I build you a place that's a little more permanent? That was David's plan. You know, a place that's more permanent than the tabernacle. And so this incredible structure, a temple, a house for the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God, would come and stay and, and I don't know if this was really kind of their plan, but it, it's kind of like, we just need to find a place for God to be. You know, a, a place where God can be, where he's kind of close. You know, when we need him, right? So we know where to go and we know where he is. I really do believe that one of the dangers of temples is in part, and this is the difference between like Christianity is a religion, okay? A man-made understanding of who God is in which we just domesticate him and keep God in his place. That's not what Christianity was ever intended to be. When you and I become little Christs, Christians, it is not for the domestication of God putting him in his place so that he's always accessible when we need him. But Christianity and its design by God is one where God's presence comes on his timetable for his own glory and for his own mission and you and I are then invited into that place. Everything else is temporary. I know what they mean just in case you were one of the days I'm about to talk about. Being a preacher... I have lots of conversations with people and when they find out I'm a preacher, they'll, they'll say things like, oh, sorry for my language. 
I, I should be more careful, you know, around you. And I always have the same response. You know, I'm not the one you need to be concerned about, <laughs> to be honest with you. And, and, and sometimes, uh, maybe you've said this, and I get it, if we're saying it in jest, maybe we should stop. Oh, I can't believe I said that, you know, in this place. Like somehow there is something special about this place. I'm glad to be back. The last couple of weeks, um, not only was I able to worship and to dedicate a new building in the city of Garu, northeastern Ghana, but also in, in Tomaszów, Poland, in these different places where I would come and gather with God's people and we would celebrate him. And, and this place is a little more special to me. But not you, but this is temporary. Just like the temple was temporary. It was not intended to be the final place. And that is why God always warned. God always warned the people of Israel. One of my favorite texts in scripture. We're not going to be going through it. We're going to get close when we're dealing with Jeremiah next week. But God warned them. And these are the words that Jesus gave when he entered into the temple and he cleansed the temple. Jesus utters the same words from Jeremiah chapter 7. Listen. He said this. Do not just walk into a temporary place like this and, and believe that you can be in, in some sense in the presence of God and then when you leave, go on like God was left there. For you need to remember that I'm everywhere. And so for you to walk into this wonderful place and go, I'm in the temple of the Lord, I'm in the temple of the Lord, I'm in the temple of the Lord, and then leave and live your life as though somehow I am stuck there and now you can go on and do whatever you want to do. For God, that is one of the most blasphemous things that we can do, is to enter into his presence I always feel a little weird when, when um, song leaders or preachers talk about that. Lord, we invite you into our presence. Here we stand in the presence. Actually, the scripture teaches there is nowhere that we're not in his presence. It doesn't matter who you're standing in front of or what place that you're in. I, I get it. I know what you mean when you say there's something special about this place. I totally agree with you. If only we could recognize the ongoing perpetual presence of God when we're not in this place. The presence of God. That is why 1 Kings verse, chapter 8, verse 23, I, I like what it, it says, and I don't know if you noticed how many times in the text, L-O-R-D was all in capital letters. As, as Vince was reading, and I understand why we say Lord, because that's the English word, but when that word appears, all in capital letters, that's God's covenantal name, Yahweh. So the text actually says Yahweh. God of Israel, there is no God like you. 
in heaven above or on earth below. And what is so unique about him, that name, Yahweh, is his covenant name. And that covenant is about a promise of presence. Covenant is about a promise of presence. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's nowhere you can go where I am not. (laughs) And I'm always with you. There's no God like you who keeps a gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And so what I love is although there is a very special presence in the garden, the presence of God is not found in the garden of Eden alone. Although there's going to be a picture of another garden, it's not about the garden. And it wasn't in the tabernacle. As much as God chose for a period of time to dwell there, it was not about the tabernacle. And it's not about the Ark of the Covenant. Just ask Indiana Jones and all of his friends. It's not about the Ark of the Covenant. In reality, I mean, I know that's just a story. In reality, just ask the Philistines. Ask the Israelites who thought they could carry this around and somehow it was like having God in their back pocket. And if we just, like the, like the, other, God, like the other nations, if we just march before our enemies with the Ark of the Covenant, God's got to fight with us. God's got to fight for us. <laughs> I love those stories. When a bunch of people thought they could manipulate God and carry him around like a trophy. And God left them. Hear me. He left them to suffer from their own foolish thinking and manipulative religiosity. Brothers and sisters, are you captivated? And surprised by the goodness of God when he comes and appears to you? Or are you like so many other people just going through life and you know where God is right where you left him? And if I need you, I'll come back and get you. No. Although God chose at some point Limited sense to be there. God's presence is not limited to the Ark of the Covenant. It's not in the land. I love Israel. It's a beautiful place. It really is. It's a very special place. And I am simultaneously, whenever I walk that beautiful place, I am reminded how much I love it and how grateful I am for it. And then I realize there really is nothing special about this place other than the Lord chose this place to make much of himself. For all of the world is his. It's not the land. It's not the beautiful temple that Solomon built that God himself abandoned when their hearts went astray. For God even promised in Solomon's dedication in chapter nine, we didn't get to that, but if you choose to reject me, if you choose to try to manipulate me or use me, I will leave you. And this great temple that you built for my name will actually become the opposite of what you intended. Not a place where people are impressed, where people are actually reminded of your foolishness. 
that you thought you could take this temple and turn it into an idol to manipulate me for your purposes where that was never God's intent. God's never intent is never that God would just bless us for our own sake. I'm grateful for the land I live in. I really am. As a foreigner and a stranger, I'm even reminded every time I travel back into America that the gentleman, and sometimes I've had problems, having a name Jim Johnson, there's just a lot of Jim Johnson, so I usually have to stand there for a little while. This kind gentleman said to me when I landed in Atlanta, he handed me back my Canadian passport with my green card, and he said this, welcome home. good to be home. It's good to be home. But I'm reminded this land, as wonderful as it is, is nothing without the Lord. It's nothing without him. So it's not the land, it's, it's not the temple. And, and here's the part that I find most astounding. Are you ready for this? It's not even heaven, which literally just means all the up, all the, all the stuff that's up, look up. I, I, I love thinking about just how, how great this universe is. And I love hearing stories about just how many galaxies there are. Galaxies there are. And whether or not there is an end to space. But here is what Solomon writes, or Solomon says, and then it's written down. First Kings chapter eight, verse 27, to talk about the magnitude of the greatness of God. Do you realize, like heaven itself, which means the universe, cannot contain our God. Listen to this. But will God indeed live on the earth, this wonderful temple Solomon had built? He says, for even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple that I have built. You can go out when you leave here and just look up. I think it's always more astounding at night to look up. And it's something I do when I travel around the world. I love to, how many of you else do this? I love to take a look and see where I'm at on Google Maps, that little blue dot. And I love to take pictures of it when I'm in different parts of the world. And then when I'm there, I like to look up and realize, wow, um, from this vantage point, this still looks so big. And Solomon, when he built this temple that he was at some level impressed with, admitted, what is this that I have made for you when, when all of the universe could not contain you? And therefore, how much more amazing is it that we find that the presence of God, which cannot be contained, is found when God is truly with us. I think you know where I'm going with this. When God is truly with us. If it's not about all of those things that I listed, and it really is about himself, now can you understand the wonder whether it's Isaiah the prophet who is prophesying it or Matthew is writing it, 
when he says this, now all this took place, talking about the birth of Jesus, Christmas is coming. I don't know if the decorations are up, but they gotta be up at Hobby Lobby. I don't think they ever go down there, but Christmas is coming. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and she will give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which translated, God is with us. God is with us. Not to be manipulated by us, but to be enjoyed, to be obeyed, to be worshiped, to receive the invitation that he gives us. Come and I will make you fishers of people. I find it astounding that the same book that says the highest heavens cannot contain me in Bethlehem took on human form for God is now with us. The presence of God in Jesus of Nazareth. And, and therefore, as we look at this story and as we longer, as we long and, 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 and desire to be in God's presence, may, be, may we be reminded that the story of God revolves around him. That he, God, is the source and the meaning of everything. The entire story of God focuses on his plan to create and redeem and to restore humanity to himself. The presence of God is essential to his plan and we were created to know God and to enjoy him forever. Therefore, never settle for anything less than the reality of the fullness of the presence of God. For he alone is our redeemer, or sorry, our creator, our redeemer, our comforter, and our final home. We see him in the garden, we see him at the cross, we experience him, him in the coming of the Holy Spirit. And one day, I know we talk about this, about going to be in heaven, but heaven, as we use it, just kind of as a term, is just only describing the place where God is. It's about being with him where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. I found it interesting that in the Bible, it, it talks about just the goodness of God coming and, and, and the Bible describes God as light. Jesus himself says that he was light. And then one of the most interesting pictures in the book of Revelation in 22, chapter 22, it says this, and there'll be no need for a sun or a moon, for God himself will be their light. God himself. It is the ultimate restoration of his presence. Therefore, as much as it might make sense for us to desire to go to be in heaven, I like to think of it a lot more as just going to be with him going to be with him. And that is the story of scripture. One of design and separation and then an ongoing story 
being redeemed and restored to him. And, and I think that's why it makes sense that we see at the table the picture and the restoration of presence. The picture and restoration of presence. For in this, we actually see that Jesus Christ is offering himself to us. Offering himself to us. For he took the bread on the night that he was betrayed and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which has been given to you. And I want you to take it and I want you to eat it for it is in fact my body which has been given for you. The restoration of presence with God through Jesus. Let us eat. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now do you see why no prophet could die for us? For only God can redeem us to himself. Let us drink. And now may we celebrate, stand and celebrate, the goodness of God coming to us, remembering what Jesus Christ has done and the peace that we now have with him. Let us worship, worship well, church.